And hello, and it works. That was another podcast. Yeah, another. Would you say episode? Another recording of the Elbow Show. Well, this is your show, so you get to host the lunch. Yes, and actually, I'm making a lunch right now. I'm making a sandwich. Nice. When are you going to start like, your own podcast, Cap? Very soon, very soon. And, um, you know, we could actually just link all this together because basically we're all just talking about the same things. And on today's topic at lunchtime, um, we, well, the previous video that you just put out, right. um, surprisingly, a lot of people actually made a lot of good comments on it. I mean, you know, we didn't actually think this format would be watchable. We're just sitting in the car and just like, you know, chatting away. But I have actually done similar Q&A stuff before on, on JDM Masters, but um, that was more structured. But we were just yep. kind of chatting away. And um, it's very surprising. This morning, I opened up Instagram. And one of my followers, who also has quite a huge following, he puts a lot of posts on um, JDM cars and historic stuff about uh, the market. And he actually mentioned our video, mentioned both of it. Mm, that's so interesting. Yeah. So I, I suppose it struck a nerve. I struck a, not a nerve, struck a chord with people. And I think a lot of people kind of resonated with the message that we were, well, not really a message, just like the conversation that we were having. So, you know, that's why I thought it would be nice to just kind of maybe elaborate on some of those thoughts that we, that we had uh, yeah. in, 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 that, in that podcast. And, you know, just maybe kind of go in a free-flowing kind of way, not necessarily the, the fact that we have to stay on that particular topic this entire time. But maybe it's a good branching off point just to see where the conversation goes. And yeah, so let's just take it away, I guess. And there were yep. some specific points that you wanted to talk about, or actually, right before we took this call, before we did this uh, start of the podcast. And uh, you were suggesting we talk about like the realities of oh. owning you know, one of these yeah. uh, quote unquote Jap- uh, JDM legends, right? Yes, maybe that's a good a good a good point to start. Yes, so, so so straight into it, we have to remember the reality that these are well over twenty year old cars now. Like the earliest would be nineteen eighty nine, if we were to look back at the R thirty two GTR. That's the first edition. Can you imagine? That's thirty one years old. Is that is that what we would? quantify as the the limit what what about like the 86 which that, i think that was released what 87 86 87 85 even 83 actually 83 wow 83 yeah yeah but i mean if you're talking about 90s cars yeah that's 89 we go back further but i guess 90s cars are, are much more popular now of course if we talk about the 86 like 10 years ago, it was really ancient you know yeah <laughs> that's right yeah. but i think maybe we can just just for the purpose of this conversation, maybe let's extend it a little bit to the end of the 80s because you do have cars like the A70 Supra uh, and, FC. and the FC, right? Exactly, and the 86, which are you know from that generation. But I think really because of Initial D and uh, One Gun Midnight, uh, even maybe the, the old Z, it, these are kind of like the Japanese classic JDM cars that, that we, uh, we know and, and we love. There is, quite so, a, there is quite a big difference between 80s cars and 90s cars, even though, I mean, they're all old right now. And let me tell you why. 
um, it's because there's a huge generational well, a huge generation jump between 80s cars and 90s. The way they produce, the parts. Um, I would say that 90s cars are still, in a way, structurally quite relevant to today's cars, especially the late 90s cars. Um, I would even the, say that the 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 build and the technology and just the level of like effort that manufacturers put into into cars of that era is quite different, even maybe even in some respects higher than, than today, just because of budgetary constraints and uh, then the their perceived uh, what they perceive to be the the wants and needs of the car buying public, right? Yeah, I absolutely agree about that, actually. Um, looking at your S2000, uh, my, my EK Civic, or let's say cars that came out in the late 90s, uh, like the Altetha, uh, they all have certain structural points uh, with materials that are still relatable to today's cars. In fact, I would say that today's cars are pretty much, this, I wouldn't go as far as say the same, but they're still based on the same sort of architecture, basic architecture, the way they're manufactured, the way the parts are put together, um, the way the, the mechanical parts are put together. The only difference is there are more and more electronic parts, more motors, more more iPhone screens, and just, you know, more infotainment. Oh, but, definitely. Also bigger, larger. They have to, they have to uh, uh, adhere to certain safety standards and also emission standards. But like yes. you were saying, I mean, you know, cars like the outgoing, WXSTI, it was still using the EJ engine, which has been really the mainstay of, of Subaru since like the the late 90s, right? The early, uh, the late 80s, actually. Uh, it appeared in the first Legacy RS uh, before the first Impreza. So that's, I think, 88 or 89. That's really, really old. I mean, it's it's an old engine. Um, that's Ford- that's forever ago. I mean, that, I mean, yeah. as a side tangent, that's quite interesting. I was wondering why that engine was in use for so long. I mean, Subaru is a smaller manufacturer, so I guess they don't have the same R and D budget as you know, Honda or Toyota. But um, that engine has been such such like literally the workhorse of Subaru for like several decades now. Yes, it is true that they don't have that sort of R&D money to create another sort of um, new generation engine, which actually they did with FA, um, but that was based more on a generic sort of eco engine in order to meet uh, new emission standards. So like, for example, the bore and stroke are a little bit different. The, the head flow is a little bit different, but it cannot rev high. It cannot generate that sort of... Um, sort of feel like the old EJ which is why they continue to use it and even though Subaru uh, you know did very well in sales in North America but in reality in Japan uh, they're still among like the lower ranking ones so uh, in total I, I guess they just you know decided you know to not break if it's not you know like keep it if it's not broken you know right sort of, sort of until, Whereas, until they finally right yes engine Yes. Until let's talk about like ownership yeah. for a moment. Sure. Um, the oldest car I've owned was actually a eighty six, but this was back twenty years ago, uh, when I was in when I was in uni. It was already an old car. I had an eighty three one. You know, imagine it was like 
already almost already 20 years old at that time or almost 20 years old so i mean and, relatively speaking it's like if you had bought my s2000 now i mean back, yeah. back then you know but like i think that what i'm trying to say is um well i guess it's a little bit different because of the technology differences but you know 20 years even though it sounds like a lot of human years it's not that's like two or three generations in cars which is not exactly. that much Yes, it's significant, but it's it's not like it's um uh, it makes cars completely irrelevant from from the the proceeding gener- generations, and I especially right. the eighty six that one is, was kind of special I think because um oh, no, not just because of the cultural impact that that car had, but you know it was also kind of like really an underdog right, and I guess it was kind of would you say it was over engineered, and and that's why it was able to compete. With at least in initial D, it was able to compete with so many, uh, like much higher powered and and more technologically advanced cars. Or was yeah. that? What do you? You've been watching too many anime. Maybe that's it. Yeah, an old car, and it's it's technologically um, okay. So the engine is actually the best part of the car, I would say, as a as a former owner and looking at the cars now. Um, in the mm-hmm. late eighties, having. Twin like Toyota always had twin cam, but the structure of the engine was actually based on a Ford BDA, which was a legendary race engine. Um, so mechanically, it was, you know, good as a as a sporting engine from the get go. It had electronic fuel injection and some like you know um, some tricks to make it have more power. But the FR structure, uh, the live axle, was actually based on the seventies. Now while the bodies. Uh, structure and, and other parts were, you know, the current technology at that time, but it was at the cheapest price point. It was still a Corolla, um, but it was cheap, it was fun, it was reliable, and so therefore it was very popular for tuning, even though it had a lot of limitations with the, um, the, the chassis and the suspension. I mean, like the FC, even though it didn't have the double wishbone suspension of the FD, was way more advanced, and the Super 70 was way, way more advanced car with the Sora. However, the 86 was a little bit special because 20 years ago, so you had like the ECU, no carburetors, you could do a lot of ECU tuning, and at that time, it was very easy to like break the all the ECU codes, not like today's cars. And you know, dangle with the field maps and everything. So, but it did still feel like an old car, like the '80s design, the way the panels are put together, just the general feel, the way it drives. It already felt old twenty years ago. But mm. your S two thousand and the EK, uh, especially the renewed EK that you know, uh, Spoon I drove the other day. Wow, that still felt relevant. You know, like Alteza still feels relevant. Uh, even R thirty four, yeah, it actually feels a bit dated, but. It still feels relevant. It's just if you change everything, that you it modern mm-hmm. I think it will still fly. But um, the only problem with owning old cars is basically parts. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it's and the especially the availability of uh, parts. JDM parts. Like if if it wasn't released in overseas, like the S fifteen, then it is. Well, I mean, you do have. Um, eBay and you do have uh, Up Garage and 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 their sister company Kruber, which enables people to source parts. But uh, just the total number of them definitely is decreasing, especially parts like the S13 headlights, right, which are glass. Hello, hello, can you hear me? Hello, hear you. 
Yes, can you hear me? I'll be clear, sir. Okay, perfect. Yeah, like I was saying, the that reminds me of, uh, for example, the S13 headlights, the glass yeah. ones, right? Where basically, if you break those, like that's it. It's extremely hard to it's find them. Gone. Yeah. So that definitely it it pumps up the not not just the um the cost of ownership in in case you break something, but I think it also decreases your your ability to enjoy the car as a sports car. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't don't talk about and think about too much these days. But we have the opportunity to drive these cars in places like Hakone, where we do get to uh, to, to test or at least uh, feel the performance of those cars in the twisties, which is where they, they actually can come alive in a way that modern cars um, are not able to, it, well, at least in the same way. So, so yeah, I mean, I guess a, a lot of folks overseas, they derive a lot of the enjoyment of owning these cars, just the, literally from the, like the ownership factor. Oh, definitely. Um, to, to, to summarize that point, uh, all the cars, like even the R32 GTR, which is my favorite, by the way, out of all the GTR ranges. Yes, I know it has the weakest body, and I know that technologically it's also like in the beginning but it's the lightest the most compact and if you tune it up a little bit stiffen up the body a little bit give it a bit more response it actually is the most fun there's something about you know that lack of soundproofing that steering response and just sitting in that cockpit and the raw engine noise of that rv26 which is a little bit less refined than the r34 uh, the way it moves just makes it feel more like a, a race car in a way very very sporty i don't care if it can't handle as well as R35, but it's smaller and therefore on like Hoge, uh feels a little better to drive. It's like the EK9 or the EG6 versus the FK8. That's oh, a massive car, you know. It's not even the same car, I feel. And it... So I haven't had a chance to drive the FK8 yet, and I'm really excited to get a chance to drive Spoon's Four FK8. Power, bro. Four Although... power on the front wheel drive. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So maybe what I should really drive first is is a normal FK8. So maybe we should reach out to Spin Rush, and I can uh, have a spin in his, it is, it is rush car. <laughs> a, a rushed spin in his car. Yeah. So we have a basis of comparison between that and the the Spoon one. Or actually, you know, be a cool video. Maybe if we get a chance to take them to take out the Spoon yeah. FK8, exactly let's invite out. Spin rush, and we can compare the back to back, and also get his experience as a as an owner. So, uh, as, oh, sorry, as a background, spin rush. Uh, I think spin rush C one is that yes. his name on Instagram. Uh, our, our good friend, uh, American, living out here in Japan as living well. He's been here for uh, yeah, living the dream. He's a English English teacher with an FK eight, I, I believe. So not, I think that's uh, that's um, kind of. That was like you know my dream as an English teacher when I was on the jet program to own a brand new, you know, at the time, at yeah. the time WXSTI. Yeah. But I mean, for for him, it's essentially the same thing—a brand new yeah. Type R, right? That's uh, that's a definitely an impressive accomplishment, and that's a you know commitment to 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 the life to and the a lot of life. of loan repayments. <laughs> That's no, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, it's a, that, and that's that's a good segue, I think, to talking about the prices of 
these cars, which so, are in some cases now yes. approaching like bizarre. No, I mean not not in some cases. I mean in a lot of cases, and not just bizarre, but completely astronomical okay. heights. I, like conclusion the, point uh, when we talk about this, yep. I think they're not worth it anymore. Like it's gone far beyond the worthwhile point because of all all the trouble that you have to go through to maintain and get the parts, and you know. Uh, find ones that are already good condition. So, I mean, like the price point at which to get like an EK9, an EG6, uh, uh, Evo 456, R32, 33, even, God forbid, 34, even some S2000s, is it really worth it anymore? Because younger people these days, from teenagers to like below 30s, I think they can probably enjoy cars that have been built in the last 10 years, which are much cheaper to buy and enjoy them uh, rather than you know, spend exorbitant amounts of money and then, you know, risk having the cars not being able to move because they can't get parts or they're too expensive and you want to not get risk getting stolen. You really need to think about this. Like, I would say it's probably not worthwhile to buy it as your first or second car. Like, get car ownership experience with something cheap and then really decide if you want to have plastic because these are, you know, just getting out of control of the prices. Or have a daily, yeah. exactly. some sort of like a like a, a newer mm-hmm. Honda Civic or a Mazda That's 3 right. or something, and then that other car is your Honda. You just baby and take care of it. You got like a project, you know. Right, right, Ex- exactly. In in a sense, I mean, it's it's no really no different. Well, maybe it is in some ways, but I I think it's not altogether too different from muscle car guys. Oh yeah. yeah. Love restoring and old Shelby's and yes. old Mustangs and you know old Camaros. It it is essentially the same thing. It it has the exact same problems. Oh yeah, but it's certainly the same problems. However, old Shelby's and American cars, like many aftermarket manufacturers in America, do still make parts for these cars. But for the JDM cars, all you're left with are actually aftermarket parts, which is where companies like Spoon come in, or uh, HKS, and you could replace. But then there are some fanatics who want to get it all original. I don't know. Maybe in Japan, it's a little bit uh, different from America. People like to modify all the cars in America anyway. Then it kind of splits into two ways, right? Do you want to enjoy old JDM car 20, 30 years ago? Do you want to run it all original or do you want it to run it, you know, modified? And it, it loses that intrinsic original value. What do you think, Albert? What will you do? Which would you do? Uh, well, as you can kind of see what I'm doing with my S2000. It's it's I think somewhere in the in mm. the middle. So what I'm trying to do is to retain the essential essence of the of the car, while bringing it up to the level where, for me personally, I would choose that car over the mm-hmm. old car, just because in terms of like creature comforts, in terms of um, whether various factors, it it the benefit of a newer car does not uh does not or sorry yeah it doesn't it doesn't outweigh the the pleasure of ownership of of the older car so like that's why i like to do stuff like um upgrading the seats yes which we just which i'm the video i'm working on right now so we put like you know the top of the line uh recaro asm no, nah, like, just just, and just uh, the bucket seat. Don't, don't, don't give excuses. <laughs> well, well, no, I, I, actually, if I just wanted the bucket seat, I would 
just get a used one, like a, a cheaper one. But I was kind of specific. I, this is a side tangent, but I think S2000 owners are, are kind of, uh, they are, they, the way a lot of them treat their S2000 is as if it's like a Porsche. Yeah. It really is. It's, it's, they over, uh, over 100% over baby it. Uh, well, there's two types. I mean, well, maybe three, but, but what I see are kind of, there's the type that basically treats it as uh, a, a track mm. rat and just, you know, takes it to the track and uh, yeah. just, just, yeah, just really pushes it <clears throat> to its limit. And then there's the other type. Uh, oh, hang on. Okay. Me, there's the other type, which are the type that completely babies the car and seeks out the highest quality parts and it's never it's satisfied with the, yes definitely definitely pure but it's interesting because not true purists in the sense that they only want the yeah. oem parts they want the the expensive high quality famous parts like from jay's racing or mugen or mm-hmm. asm yeah um and so there, there is like this there's this uh uh uh, I, I don't know if there's a similar thing with other manufacturers. Definitely the um, GTRs, yes. That's what I was about to say. Yeah, with GTRs, and everybody wants the Nismo parts. They want the those uh, those Nismo wheels, and they want to have um, like have it tuned by places like BR. Um, this kind of like famous name brand stuff. So the ownership experience of it kind of can become kind of a a like a like a like a dick measuring contest for for <laughs> since you put it that way yes um, a lot of owners right it, it definitely is i don't really see the point but at the same time at the same time i understand um a lot of a lot of people who want to buy these cars rever them in an almost like celebrity kind of status because of the impressions they have from from media or you know uh just just of its legendary status there's nothing wrong with that but i also feel that most owners want to buy these cars because they're cool and so they think okay yeah it's an, it's an old car i want to go and get it but don't actually realize that it's you know it, the, the cost and, and just the trouble of actually keeping them far outweighs what they can handle so it's not about like if you had a lot of money and time and space fine you know because that's what people have, have been doing with the older like um, muscle cars or, or like the classic europeans for years you know it's just that now it's it's the, the jdm uh, classic cars are in the, the highlight so it's you know cars have always been the same they've always been treated the same whether uh whatever generation but because people feel in their mind that japanese cars are cheaper but the reality is they are not and that's what we're talking about right they're right. not more i mean at this point at this point yeah. they're not uh but even six months ago, it was a very different story. If we were making, if we were doing this podcast at the beginning of the year, there's there's definitely been a massive shift in the valuation of almost every single JDM sports cars. It's pretty mind blowing, actually. <laughs> and I think, <laughs> to be honest, I feel partially to blame. I feel like, um, you know, my 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 uh, my. Uh, Myself and my associates, YouTubers is what I'm trying to say, who make videos espousing the, the not just the, you know, not just the benefits and the, the, 
the ownership experience of it. They they contribute to to hyping it up. Are you talking up. about JDM Masters as well? I think JDM Masters, yes, and not in the sense of hyping it up, but in the sense of delivering information that just wasn't there. And so there's, I think, what JDM Masters is doing <laughs> is not really hyping it so much. Well, I think maybe twenty percent hyping it, but I think it is, it is creating a justification for people uh, to then go out. Like, I think a lot of people were kind of like, ah, I don't know if it's worth it. And then they watch your video and then they get enthralled with like the, the history and the heritage and the legacy of the car, which you are so good at, there? at kind of delivering. Oh, especially the AE triple one. It was relatively the unknown, unknown six class. Everyone's like concentrating on Hondas, but you know, I think after that video, we've got really good views also. Um, and phew, that, that kind of spark new interest in you know in that car actually and the car yeah, itself right not, not just in, in... <laughs> yes it's it's really interesting i mean definitely youtubers have this kind of this uh it's influence terrific, really. it's definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. a a uh it's yeah 100 is a privilege it's kind of an honor it's it's it is essentially what the magazines did 10, 15, 20 years ago, right? You had like best, like best motoring video option. You had these, these Japanese outlets who created content. And then we finally had the chance to like the OGs would import the DVDs. Right. And then finally it was on YouTube and then people were watching it on YouTube. Crazier and... album. You know, think about this, right? Like we were, we were invited by spoon many times to feature uh, their, their products. They now feel like companies like this, legendary JDM tuning companies or whatever feel that we can give them a boost in, you know, um, advertorials or editorials um, compared to like the sources that we used to get this information from and, 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 and put them on the sort of pedestal. But now it's, it's our turn. It's really, really an honor, you know, because the audience out there, um, the rest of the world, other than the, you know Japanese speaking or the English speaking, but wants to know, and you know they know we can reach out to them. Uh, that's that's just so mind blowing. Actually, I want to say thank. Oh, one hundred percent, it is. It's it's a very interesting, and it's kind of um, uh, something that I kind of predicted years ago. The writing was always on on the wall. Uh, you know, you see like print magazines mm. folding, and you know you see even those print magazine outlets there really turning to the web and then they're trying to do youtube videos so but they they were never native to it you know they never had that that production like skill set ability kind of sense whereas youtubers they're just native to the platform they just made videos they just grew up making videos about things they liked about their cars and you know eventually they grow they grow enough to the point where where they have a large audience and companies obviously want to 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 work with those you know YouTubers, those influencers, to um, to provide information, which the magazines aren't. They they just don't have the same reach anymore. They don't have the same influence. It's really interesting too because I think um, what we have to offer is this level of. Uh, uh, we can come at it from like a really authentic place because we are like owners, yeah. right? We are 
enthusiasts we're not, as well. We're, we're, we're not, not super just... celebrity status. We're not, you know, at a place where people can't reach. That's the problem with like trying to associate yourself with a star like Schwarzenegger or Will Smith, right? They, they just seem too far away. You know, the old right. establishment type of celebrity, so to speak, right? Like when you look at magazines uh, and, you know, like how do you actually reach out to these people, you know? But things have kind of come full circle. Like, um, for example, GD Channel, they were, the, you know, one of the big media um, automotive establishments before YouTube really came out. And, and I have a, the privilege of working with them, GD Channel, you know, uh, thanks to them actually just watching our stuff. And you met them too? And it's it's crazy. Right, the other right? day. Mm-hmm. In fact, they kind of hold us to the same it's level really of regard, order, yeah. you know? So... I mean, it can definitely be a challenge, too, I think. You because, have standards you know, to uphold. Um, yes, that's true. Yes. And also, like, when they choose to work with you, like, this, here's kind of the one of the yeah. challenges I find, is that sometimes when you meet your heroes it doesn't live up to what you expected. <laughs> and if you are in the unfortunate position of kind of like being beholden to like some relationship where if you talk bad about them, then it will have like negative repercussions. That is the problem. Yes. It's very, it's very tricky. I find like, for example, like, well, I don't have a good example, but like, let's just say, um, you have this uh, this this image of this this parts manufacturer, and you, you love them, right? Everyone loves them, and you go and you have a chance to check out how they work and what they do, and you find out they're actually substandard, like, like substandard compared to the image. Dude, that they do you know what? Before I right. came to Japan, I had this impression of most JDM manufacturers of like aftermarket parts or even the cars themselves. But since I've been here for, for such a long time, okay, off the record because this is not a YouTube video, I, I can tell you, I was actually disappointed with, get this, 70% of them. 70%. 70%. quite wow. a lot. Um, even if it's not the parts itself, it's more of like the the people, the owners, you know, like they, they didn't seem so friendly or, you know, very outgoing or, or, or receptive um, when we went to them, mm. you know, but mm-hmm. understandably for other reasons as well. And now I've also kind of come full circle to understand the situation uh, in which, you know, when I, I first met them and approached them, which is why, um, like, I, I, I keep saying this, but like Spoon is really exceptional because Ichishima-san had a vision even more than 20 years ago when JDM was starting to blow up in the West um, to actually reach out uh, and, you know, really promote uh, and be very open to the Western world, whereas the other JDM manufacturers uh, of, of aftermarket parts and tuners were, were still kind of close, like keep everything in Japan, you know, and they're still very, very open, uh, despite them being at the top tier. Um, nothing to do with me, you know, being a Honda fanboy or whatever, but, you know, it's just a very good example. And another company, Tomei as well, um, they always allow people to come from overseas, you know, come from overseas and visit the facility and they're very friendly, allow them to pose and take photos and you know, it's 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 um it's it's kind of like ah, I wanna draw some relation to the black ships of, of, of Yokohama. 
JTM JTM World has also been quite close since the 90s, but now they're they they they're kind of opening up a bit more. Partially because they realize that a lot of their fans and the, and their fan base and the, perhaps their sales base has to come from overseas now. The, the the local market has shrunk to almost 20% of what it was 20 years ago. They realize that, so that's where we come in. Uh, I suppose because we have connections to the English speaking world and we're here. So it's it's an opportunity not to be missed. It definitely is. It is kind of uh, this. What do you think? Golden. It, I mean, it's definitely a golden opportunity, and hopefully, we can continue to maintain our our um, you know, like like creative integrity, and like walk that fine line between not overhyping it and also just kind of. Uh, um, also not pissing them off, which can be a challenge sometimes. It, there's definitely a lot of cultural factors as well. You know, it's, it's, we think in a very Western way and they think in a very Japanese way. They have certain expectations that might not fundamentally be aligned with the way that we think. So it's really, it's always a challenge. It's, it's always a challenge just setting up these meetings, right? As definitely. you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but going back to the topic of, of, of cars, before we got as we always sidetracked, okay. <laughs> as we do, yeah. Which is the great thing about these podcasts, right? You can just kind of meander and just go into all these different tangents and talk about different stuff, and then just kind of like find your way back to the original point. Unlike a YouTube video, like when I was editing the video, right, which we just released, um, uh, where we talk about if you guys haven't seen it yet, is our 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 '90s JDM legend car oh, still worth it? Yes, um, like that was actually a much longer video which was about like 20, 25 minutes. And I had to cut it down to just like the, the, to trim the fat, basically, just to hold people's attention, right? Uh, but what I love about these podcasts is we can just talk for a while and you don't have to get to the point right away. You can just kind of, kind of uh, go in different directions and then come back and then go on new tangents and then come back again. And um, that's what I love about, about podcasts. But anyways... <laughs> It's another tangent. So back what to the original do you point, think of cars. a young guy who wants to own their first car? They just got our university to save a bit of money and they think, okay, hell, I want to get an R32 GTR or Evil 5 or an S2000. What do you think? So I think it depends on their means, actually. I think, I think if they are out of college, it really depends on like what their first job is. So if you are like a, you, you manage to lock down like a, IT job at let's let's say like a, a tech company or something which pays a good salary and you have a stable profession as like a computer engineer which is a as a really good upward trajectory or if you are making good money and let's, let's say you're like a, a real estate agent or broker or something and you can make these really nice big fat commissions and you you recognize that you have this skill skill set and you're able to make this living that is relatively stable then I think really it, if the thing is right, a lot of young folks, right, are able to make a lot of money, even when they're young. It's, it, it, like look at all these YouTubers and and people who are running like these e-commerce businesses, and they're very young. They're doing it on the back like of Dustin uh, Facebook, and Instagram, like, he, and YouTube. Young guy, exactly, exactly. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's another really interesting topic. But I think. Um, yeah, just to wrap up this this original point, you know, it's it really definitely depends on each individual's uh, 
me, uh, means at, at that point of time in their life. So if they are just basically working a minimum wage job, I think what they have to consider is if the purchase and ownership of the car will actually set them back in their life because it it is it can you know as you know a lot of these cars can be definite money pits and the money that they could be putting towards things like their furthering their education or their career development or even moving to like a different better place like for me personally I found that literally moving from one place to another was the single biggest factor in in my uh, current level of uh, like trajectory in life, you know, it's when I was living in Gunma, for example, just as a side note, okay. Um, you know, I had kind of saved up some money and that money could have gone to either making the move to Tokyo and kind of getting myself set up or it could have gone towards like car parts and or not even new car parts. It could have been go- going towards the repair. Like, let's say I had picked up uh, an RX-7 because several years before I had I had had the chance, he really was living paycheck to paycheck to pick up a really janky RX-7. And I was like, man, what if, you know, if I pick this up, it'll be so cool. I'll have an RX-7. But looking back at the time, it wasn't the right time. It was, it would have been the wrong purchase decision because it really, I think would have uh, uh, limited me in terms of like mobility and what I could do and how I could utilize my income because I would constantly be throwing money at it, like in engine rebuilds and, and, and you know, blown apex seals and things like things like that. And it would have been, I think, it it would have um, shortened my my time my my uh, time horizon for being able to plan for the future because I would always be paying for things here and there that would be nickel and diming me. So that I mean, that's also separate if. Um, living in japan it's very difficult to have more than one car right but i think a lot of folks back home they have they can especially in the states they can easily have two or more cars they just buy it they don't have to often have to deal with uh shakem like we like we do uh, mandatory inspections every two years they just buy the car and they can just like let it sit and even if they just kind of work on it and take it for like like short cruises to the like around town and to the gas station and things like that. And they can just slowly, slowly build a car over the course of a couple of years that that's definitely feasible. But I think as, as responsible a young guy, young guy. buying as, as an example, as yes, let, let's say, well, let's, let's not even say responsible because if they're responsible, they would no, buy but I think responsible <laughs> in the sense, exactly what you've just talked about. There's more to life than cars, you know, and of course you have dreams and some people feel like, you know, it, it's it's like back in the old days in 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 the in the nineties where you know industry was going up and you know some some guys got, got came out of college and they got a very good job. Yes, they got a good job and they spent a lot of their money taking you know a lot of loans and credit cards and leasing everything. But then you never know what will happen in life and everything will just fall apart. So I think what we're talking about is just to be pragmatic, but at the same time do what is within your means. It's kind of like don't go on the other extreme. Don't be too pragmatic where you just don't do anything then you're not going to enjoy life because you only have one life and i think you should enjoy it as much as possible but at the same time you have to think about um a couple of steps in the future for what's your life especially now yeah the whole COVID 19 uh situation you know working at home and i would say because of it technology um that's quite an old word now but um back when i was when i was youth growing up in the 90s like 
the only way to success was to go through the rat race, you know. But now, right, uh, there's a lot of more opportunity with, you know, it's not just being a YouTuber, but like I see, like, I, I see a lot of people creating new products, marketing themselves on IG and selling them, you know, without even doing YouTube. So if you're creative and you study well, um, more than just outside the established educational, you know, structure, which I think is very limiting, by the way. You know, it, it forces you into the sort of thinking that you need to get a good job and you need to get ahead in the rat race. And, you know, there's not enough spaces in the, in the industry to, for everyone to be successful. So you've got to find your own way. But cars are not, you know, the, the, the most essential thing. You have to think. Of- They're not the be-all, end-all. And I think what a lot of, especially car guys, um, they fall into the trap of thinking that the car is the dream and then working with cars on a daily basis like that, that's a dream. So one thing, one thing I noticed is a lot of guys get into, um, mm-hmm. they want to be like a mechanic, right? And a lot of guys actually do become like a mechanic. And then they realize, I've had this conversation with a lot of folks. They, they realize that they, of course, would rather work on their own car, but then they have to spend all their time and effort working on other people's cars. And which, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Like if you just love cars, and you just love working on cars, like that could be like a dream job. But I think people often will make the mistake of conflating their, their, the fact that they like cars with the fact that that is going to be their, the way they make their living. Um, and, and then also like as a side thing to that, you know, it's, it's also the fact that because we are car guys and because we spend a lot of our time, like looking at, researching parts looking at instagram looking at other looking at builds we kind of get this 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 uh wrong not not wrong impression but this kind of uh this bias towards thinking that cars are such an important part of life when really they're they're not like there's um there's your friends there's your girlfriend there's places to go things to eat things to experience in life car is just a convenient Mm -hmm. means of transport at the end of the day yes it's a passion you know, but a passion could be anything. It could be, uh, heck, anime. I, I don't. I don't care what it is. But cars um, do interact in a way because, you know, it can bring you places and then support your experiences, which is actually most of how I enjoy my cars. Um, I don't go out to the racetrack or tailgate every other week. You know, I used to, but I realized that. Actually, it's really pleasurable to like, go for long drives and go to a certain spot that I've never been before, and you know, and going back on going back on that when I had like yeah, definitely uh, all the un- well, quote unquote, un- not so reliable cars. I was always afraid if I went to like three hundred kilometers away from home, I'll get stuck in the car, break down, and, I'm, and you know, I'm screwed. You know? <laughs> I want something more reliable, right, right. you know, sometimes, and that can be a pain. Yeah, well, it, it that part of it can actually be. In, in a weird kind of sadomasochistic kind of way, uh, part of the enjoyment of <laughs> owning a car like that, you know, part of, sometimes it's part and parcel of the experience. You know, when you have, when you buy an RX-7, you kind of hopefully know what you're getting into. You, you know you're going to be spending tons of money on oil. You know you're going to be, you know, possibly blowing an engine somewhere down the line. And the, the flip side is I think people do romanticize that. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's fine. It's going to be great. I'm going to love it. But it, it does become like this love-hate 
uh, relationship. But I think, you know, beyond the actual ownership of the car, um, one thing I want to say to like a lot of young guys who are listening to us, watching or yeah, just listening to this podcast is that to not make getting the car to be the the goal because it, like really, you could get like a loan and you could pick, you could buy a very expensive car. Agree, but that's not the way to do it, right? I, it's it's actually much better and much more satisfying to get to the point financially in in your life right. where you can just buy the car and and outright, and the associated costs with it would would not diminish your enjoyment because you're forced to sacrifice because you need to spend all this money. So let me give you a perfect example. Now I have the S2000, right? And I absolutely love this car. But if I think back to when I first came to Japan and I was working as an English teacher, um, beyond the fact that it would take me a while to save up and mm. just be able to buy the car outright, I think in terms of like just the, the maintenance and um, even things like buying tires, and or like buying like a new clutch, like this kind of thing would have really put a huge dent on you financially um, at that time. Like not not yes, yeah. It wouldn't. I won't say cripple me, but it would force me to make month to month decisions. It would be like, do I want to replace my clutch, or, or do I want to do want to get new tires, or or do I want to go back home for Christmas? Like things like this, and and I mean, like you know, not 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 to say that uh, it's all relative, right? I mean. But like, not to say that I never experienced this kind of thing, but it it definitely is a factor of number one, like um, how much how much uh, like you're you're able to make on even like a monthly basis because you do have tend to have like these monthly people tend to think of in terms of like monthly costs, right? Um, and I think if I were to buy the S two thousand like six or seven years ago, even if I was in a position to like let's say like get a loan for it or something and just and just buy it. It would have been the bad a bad idea, and I think it would have diminished my enjoyment of the car. And I would have been, um, I'm not 100% sure, but I think I would not have enjoyed it as much as now, especially because I spent years with, with the Roadster, which enabled me to build context for this car and to understand how it's better in some ways, but not better in other ways. And it makes me kind of be able to appreciate it from a more realistic point of view. And I think, like you were saying, it's not. That's why this is why it's not a good idea to buy that dream car uh, or or that childhood dream car right off the bat. But the problem too is they just keep going up in price. This is the other problem, and they just keep getting more and more expensive to the point where it the the acceleration of its of of its gaining in value outpaces your ability to improve your income to be able to buy it so at, at some point you know it's going to be the decision between like an s2000 like a an s2000 or a brand new s2000 like the one that's coming out next year or it's, it's the same thing with the supra right it's like the literally you can buy a janky a80 or you could buy a brand new uh, a90 yeah it's it's literally at that point and i think that's when people that's that's kind of the other one of the other sides of this discussion where it's like is is it worth it and i think 
I still do eventually come back to the same conclusion that I had in that video, which is that it's it's worth it um, if you if you frame it in if you frame your ownership and you think about it in the right way, and it doesn't break you, um, because it's it's the same thing as as owning like you know like some some muscle car guys want that that '69 yeah. Shelby Cobra, right? And they would much rather have that than a brand new spanking uh, like Corvette. And I 100% uh, understand that that way of thinking. And I think it it is uh, directly applicable to JDM cars as well. Because really, it's not about the performance at that point anymore. It's really more about um, all these intangible factors that are very oftentimes very personal. And really, it deals with your personal history uh, and how you thought about the car growing up and how maybe your dad had that car or maybe your uncle had a similar car and he let you ride in it. Or it could be something like, you know, this was the car that you chose in Gran Turismo. And so it became this hero car, this icon for you that uh, becomes this essentially a trophy. And I think it is it's more healthy to approach it that way. To think of it as like, re- really, you're buying a classic car at this point, and um, the best, maybe like the the, uh, the the a good way to go about it is if you are determined to get one of these JDM classic cars, <laughs> classic at this point now. I mean, <laughs> can you imagine that? At can you imagine years ago we would be saying that like an Integra Type R would be a like a, a classic even stuff like the the rsx you know the uh, dc5 integra that's that's already a future classic like back in the day i could not have imagined that this would be a car that everybody would would want at, at some point but or even the miata because you know when i first came to japan it was universally heralded as like a hairdresser car right and it was i was kind of like made fun of for a while for having a, a roadster uh, but yeah back to my point i think um if you can can uh just accept that it's going to be a classic car type of ownership experience and even better if you have a, a daily reliable car like a new honda civic or something that's probably the better way to go about it so that you can um you can take your time to restore the the jdm car and uh to bring it to the i think there's also two ways you can go with that right so you you can go to making it as period correct as possible or just making it as as uh your own version of it as possible and i think either way is totally really awesome good summarization and i think um, elbow's really given very very strong points um about you know you as a person uh, if you're out there thinking about the same thing uh that it's not just about cards it's about you're thinking about your life and i'll conclude this topic um by just talking about it uh, from a mechanical or like you know, from a car maintenance point of view, that there are certain realities um, to understand. Uh, we're lucky that we're in Japan. We can just walk into the dealer and you know get whatever parts that are you know still available uh, pretty cheap and pretty easily. You, you order it, and you know three days later it comes from the from the stockhouse. But if you're overseas, and the reality is that owning some of these JDM cars, it's almost impossible to get parts on time reliably. You know. And this is unfortunately also the reality that um, even if you did have the money, you wanted to go through that 
um, do think about you know the downtime that you would probably get by you know waiting for your parts parts for your R33 um, to come from Japan or from the stockist or whatever you know so it's it's probably also a good idea to have at least one you know daily that you don't have to think about and you can just run uh, especially in places like America where people rely a lot on cars to, to travel you know so I, I think that's my take on it Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah thank you i think that's um it's it's definitely going to be a challenge moving forward for and people to even just work, get a yeah. hold of these cars it's uh it is i mean there's just less of them right i mean it's just basic supply and demand so even if you have the means even if you decide you can buy it um you just might never come across one that's worth buying i mean this is the this is kind of like the last thing that i think uh, we can touch on before we wrap this up which is that just because like let's say you might find like a cheaper one if it's in like a janky condition or if it's if it's uh um the paint is really bad or if it has like an accident history it's um i don't think that's a good buy either and at the very at the other end of the spectrum like there are definitely cars that are extremely overpriced where it really is is uh people who have purchased these cars in a really speculative fashion fashion because they want to be able to flip it for for basically like out of i don't want to say greed because um you know people just recognize that these are good investment vehicles like literally investment vehicles and it, like that's why a lot of people are are picking up r34s and they're just holding on to them so that they can sell sell them later and literally buy, buy a house i think it's not in a sense you could say that maybe is being um, not a true car guy and it's been kind of greedy but it's also just also I mean if you have the foresight it's literally a great um, and the beans it, it's a great investment because you could you could buy the car drive it around every couple weekends just a little bit and then in five years sell it for double what you bought it for I mean that's there's that's a great idea which is also oh man I just keep going these these so Other I tangents, actually disagree but, with that in a um, way, but that's another topic for another day. Mm-hmm. Sorry, let me just, while I have this idea uh, thought in my head, just to wrap that up, it was that, you know, even if these cars are really expensive, you can kind of see uh, the trajectory that they're, that they're at. So, um, you know, cars like the S2000, mm-hmm. this is going to go up in value. Uh, 80 a80 Supras, it probably will still go up. Uh, type R's will, uh, Integra Type R's will definitely go up. Um, anything approaching that 25 year mark will will go up. Well, not every single one, but definitely a lot of the legend cars. Uh, R34 GTR, I mean, it probably has a limit um, depending on on its uh, its history. If it's uh, if it has that mileage, uh, super high mileage, or if it has accident history, or if has if it has like some other problems it'll probably cap i think the average one at like two hundred thousand dollars but i could definitely see like a z tune something ridiculous going for like two million dollars in just a in just a few years just out of pure um supply and demand because there are there are like folks in like hong kong and dubai which just have unlimited money they have literally millions of dollars and they can just buy it through their companies. And it is just an expense. It's just a tax write-off. And um, these are the kind of players that kind of really skew the market and um, can make it inaccessible for normal people to get 
decent examples of them. But, uh, you know, there are definitely there definitely still is that opportunity to get into one of these cars and hold on to it for a while. And then, uh, you know, depending on if you really loved it or if, if you didn't and you, you're kind of done with your ownership experience of it, you can sell it for more than you bought it for. And then you kind of, you know, looking back, it was a good financial decision. So stuff like buying like an S2000, this is a better deal than if you were to buy like an RX-8. And I think it really, you know, it it does require a deep knowledge of uh, the prices, global prices and the tra- trajectory of the prices of these, these cars, uh, which a lot of really young guys, they don't have. They just kind of go off of YouTube videos that they watch and, um, you know, picking around on on uh, car websites and on Facebook groups and, and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely going to be a challenge for everybody moving forward, especially especially young guys, especially, I think, the younger enthusiast who is, let's say, 18, 19, 20 years old. They're not they're not even out of college yet. And a lot of these cars are just going to be um, really out of reach until they are making like really significant money later in their lives where or if they become like a super successful uh, uh, in their career earlier on. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be a challenge. I think we are very lucky to be in this point in time in history where uh, we I think we are at the tail end of even gas powered cars being a thing. I think kind of within the next 15 years, there will be this just global transition to EV and self driving cars. And this is just the, the way the world is moving. So in, in that sense, just to have the, the luxury, the opportunity to be able to drive manual sports cars um, in Japan, I'm just incredibly grateful to have been born and then be able to uh, live in this era. Yeah. So the conclusion is um, be wise, do your research and plan your life uh, to, a, to, a, to a degree that is reasonable and then make make the best decision from there. Keep watching, keep listening, and we'll be giving you more updates and our thoughts in future uh, podcasts and videos. Yep, thanks. Thanks, Cap. And um, I like how we try to wrap up each episode with a, uh, a lesson or a takeaway. I think that's, uh, that's nice. Um, it might not always be that <laughs> way. Maybe we're just going to talk shit. <laughs> yeah, which is fun too. But um, you should get your podcast going. I think people are really excited to just hear you talk. I think your your expertise and your deep in-depth knowledge uh, about history and, and mechanical uh, uh, history and things like that is a real asset and a real boon to to the world. So you should get, get that podcast going. And I want to be on your podcast too. So I want to see you, know, you lead it and be on your show. And uh, let's see your flavor to it. Absolutely so cool. looking forward to that. More news for that. Uh, watch my channel. And um, until next time, guys, peace out. Great. So we'll catch you guys in the next episode or recording or whatever you call podcasts, the next one. And thanks for listening. And thanks, Cap, for being on on the show. And we'll catch you guys in the next one.